Can you believe that we're doing our own ad, that we're reading it? Hey, hey, it's us. Can't believe it. Today's episode is sponsored by none other than Deadpool. Deadpool is actually one of our favorite brands of all time, not only because they make truly the most fantastic products, but also because it's founded by our dear friend, Karina. Karina! Who is such a powerhouse. She's a total badass, and she is a female Latina Italian founder of one of the best brands of all time. Deadcool is a fragrance brand for all, and we are all truly in love with it. And by we all, I mean our entire friend group. I wear the milk scent specifically every single day, and my number one compliment is always how good I smell. And that compliment has even gotten more copious and abundant ever since I've been starting to wear milk. They stand for putting the planet first. They're carbon neutral and commit to the 1% for the planet initiative. All of their products are non-toxic, biodegradable, vegan, organic, and 100% waterless. The list goes on and on. They're sustainable, as can be. I mean, they're also functional and genderless. Like The whole point is that any these products are for all. They're for everyone. Aaron and I share the scents and products. We love everything that Dead Cool stands for and truly swear by and love and use these products every single day. We love you so much, Dead Cool. Thank you so much for being our first sponsorship. Makes so much sense. It's you. Check out Dead Cool. All the links will be in our show notes. Then you can smell like us. Mm, join mm. us there. <laughs> it's Brittany, bitch, and we're back. We're back. And just like that, season two, like we never left you. And we sure did. <laughs> we sure ditched you for a lot longer than we said we were going to. Not that much Sorry. longer. We said May. No, like a week. We said May. We said it's May. This is basically beginning May. Of June. It's May while we record. Sure is. Loophole. That is a good loophole. But hi, everyone. Thank you for being patient with us. We're back, baby. Welcome Season back. two started off with a fucking bang. We're so happy to be back. And we have such a fun guest as our return to the mic episode. You want to tell them who it is? It's the perfect way to start. It's Mr. Nick Vial. If you guys have been listening to the podcast, you know that Miss Natalie Joy, our our pride and joy, love of our love life, of our life, our pride, and truly, joy. truly, <laughs> she came on the pod, and it was just spectacular. Crushed it. Crushed it. And ever since I became friends with Natalie, Nick has had no choice but to also deal with me, and Classic. it's been wonderful. And we love him and we're so grateful that he came on if you guys don't know i'll fill you in i feel like you should know but if you don't know <laughs> nick is like it's more likely you don't know who we are so hi yeah <laughs> all of nick's people that came to listen Let's to this episode, hi i'm gabby yeah. that's meadow hi i'm meadow <laughs> thanks so much for joining us we really appreciate you being here um but if you don't know the one of you on here who lives under a rock <laughs> Nick is so many things. He's an entrepreneur. He became well known in the pop culture space because he was on The Bachelorette a couple of times. And then he was The Bachelor and did big things doing that. And then he went on to, he has an essential oil company, which like the the range range. giving. (laughs) He has a very successful podcast called The Vial Files. And it's basically just like the best relationship podcast. Meadow and I like tell him this in the episode. He's like the only man we think deserves to have a microphone to talk about relationships. So it's fine. And he gets the best guests on and then like really unpacks shit with them. Like I think the whole first like 10 minutes of this episode was 
me geeking out over the, him having the ultimatum people on. Oh my god! And like, forgot we did him that for insider tea. Fun fact: yeah. we're recording it's like the first ten minutes. Literally, we were recording this yeah. intro like a month later. And what else? Oh, very important. He came out with a book. It's available for pre-order. It's called yeah, "Don't did. Text Your Ex Happy Birthday," which I think is a hilarious name. And it's perfect for you. Tr- Gabby got to read the book. I did prior to its release and loved it. I you were texting me as you were reading it, like cracking up about the different points. What was it like, player versus fuck boy, yes. and like all the different chapters and anecdotes mm-hmm. that he had. It was a great book. I'm very honored that Nick asked me to give it a skim and give him my thoughts. And I don't know. I thought it was very well done. I say this, I think, too, in the episode, but like. It's a really nice contrast and balance, I would say, of anecdotal stuff versus actual non-judgmental, I've been here, I get it type of advice, which Mm. I really appreciate. Mm. And it's not about him. You know what I mean? He interjects just the amount of anecdotes to where you don't feel disconnected from the author, but it's not about him. Which is similar to his style of advice giving on his podcast. No, the book is written the way that he talks, for sure. Yeah, it all stems from like his personal experiences and like meeting you where you're at by understanding the same levels of like emotions or background behind what you're feeling going through this drama or whatever. But then he gives very inclusive right. and accessible advice. So we obviously harassed him to give us that advice on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about As yeah, we, we talked about the book. We talked about of course so many relationship cues, but we also talked a lot about him growing up in a Catholic mm-hmm. family and how that impacted his views on sex and relationships, et cetera, et cetera. All the fun life things. before fame. Life before we fame. wanted to we wanted to figure out who Nick who's was. Who's Wisconsin? The Nick. true Nick. Well, who's your inner child? We talked about it. <laughs> we sure talked about it. We talked about the ultimatum. So many good things. This episode is jam packed. We think it's a beautiful way to come back with season two. We can't wait for your thoughts. Enjoy. Thank you for being patient with us. I know. I hope you love the episode and um, shout out to our group chat. If you want to join the group chat, come on our Patreon, baby. You can, the lowest tier gets you into our group chat, which is basically like our peer support group in your pocket. Look at so, Meadow, like come advertising the, the fuck out of us. Go team. We have a Patreon now. <laughs> Season two, baby. I'm learning how to self I'm not. Glad you are. <laughs> we love you. Enjoy the episode. Meadow, Meadow has a bone to pick with you. Oh yeah, I have a bone to pick with you. And it's the fact that I got no work done because I saw that your podcast with April came out and I sped watched the rest. I had like three episodes of the ultimatum left. It's all I've done today was sped get through it because I'm dying to fucking listen to that shit. I'm literally going to get off this and watch your thing with April. I'm so excited. Uh, Well, let me, let me know what you think. I will. I listened today. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm, what sure did. What'd you think? Well, What'd I think? finished the reunion last night in like the wee hours and I called Meta this morning and I was like, I've been sleeping so bad. Wow. And I think it's because I've been watching the ultimate <laughs> in bed like all night. I think it's a great show. It's, it's just very it is relatable. It's uh I think incredibly relatable. I like what you said in your episode, how you were like, I, I like it because it's one of the only dating shows that we've seen with couples actually coming into it, not like finding right. love. Yeah. That's yeah. True. Some critics, uh, they're like, oh, we hate how the couples are so young. And it was just like, that. I, I just thought that was just kind of dumb. One, if you talk about these couples as if like, oh, they're so young. There's just a bunch of like early 20 people like fighting over stupid stuff. It's like, sure, yeah. But like either you were never in love in your 20s or you forget right. what it was like. And when you're in your early 20s and in love, 
like it, it's 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 no less real. It's no less exactly. Also, like we're still we still have a country where like I mean the average median age for marriage for women is like twenty seven, and for men right. it's twenty eight, which means that there's still a large number of people, especially like in the Midwest or the South, who like again getting married in your early to mid twenties is still super normal That's and more exactly common. What I was and I mean, one of our best friends is 23, and I feel like no one is more prepared to be a wife than Maddie Bragg. That girl is ready oh, yeah. to be wife. Nick, Nick knows Maddie. Oh, like, Maddie, yeah, yeah. Maddie. Yeah, yeah. She's, she could she could have a child yeah. tomorrow, and I wouldn't blink twice. Totally. Sure, but also for the people who are in love, and like really legitimately in love, but mm-hmm. but they're in a relationship, and maybe it's their first or second serious relationship, and they've thought about marriage, and they've thought about this is my person and they've played house in their mind or with their partner and then shit happens and it has problems and they're just like, do I work through it or do I look for something better? Like what, that's what I liked about the ultimatum. It put a focus on compat- compatibility in relationships mm. where compatibility is not something that's often talked about as much in relationships because it's mm-hmm. not romantic. Compatibility is more practical. Yeah. Um, chemistry is romantic, so people like focusing on chemistry rather than compatibility. Um, but uh, compatibility plays a huge role, and I think there's a lot of young couples who feel the pressures of society to settle down, especially if you're from a more conservative and traditional part of the country. And that's what I liked about the ultimatum because it, it, I think was kind of, it showed obviously, you know, for what a lot of people who are older you know, who maybe have gone through it. And that's why they kind of sound condescending. It's like, oh, these younger couples, like we don't want to watch a well-balanced, thoughtful discussion between two (laughs) mature 35-year-old people who'd be like, you know what? Like maybe you're just not my person because they know what it's like to like go through a relationship and break up and and move on. But it's it's scary. Yeah. And when you're in your early 20s and you've never done it before or you went through you, maybe you had your heart broken once and all you want to do is not go through that again. I I hear you. What did you think about in the beginning, especially like the first couple episodes when they kept talking about the women particularly were talking about how all of their men were using not being financially stable as an Mm. excuse to not marry them? Because I was like, I wouldn't want to. I understand that from my perspective of like, I feel like if I'm not in a place financially where I feel so grounded I feel like a child and I'm like I I would feel silly in a wedding dress and I also don't want to marry someone like when I think his name Zay he was like yeah I'm still like you know graduating college not that like everyone needs to graduate college on like the same timeline but it was like yeah that's a valid point he wants to finish school like I didn't I don't know what did you think or even when it was an excuse like who was it April was the one I think it was April that was that was like it's a fucking excuse by the same guy over and over in my head, I was like, well, even that's a problem. If you can't just like accept the fact that he doesn't want to marry you right now and I have to like pull out any bullshit excuse I can because it's just not my truth and I don't want to, like, can't that just be an answer too? Like, why don't we talk about the fact that we have to make up something else? We have this ingrained in our mind that if we've been dating for someone for a certain period of time, we need to we need to do something and that next something is often a proposal or marriage. I mean, there's something to be said. They say in business, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I think that's just kind of how humanity works. I think we, we desire the need to evolve and 
you know, that's why relationships are tough because after you get married, there's like, what's the next thing? I guess we'll have kids. And then well, what do we do when our kids get older? And I think that's why there's a lot of divorce after you become an empty nester because it's like, well, what now? You know? Yeah. They're like left with themselves. Yeah. You know, when you look at the couples from the ultimatum, it's not, I don't, that's what I liked about it because it's not like, there's no one like at fault. You know, like you watch The Bachelor and it's like an, oh, people, characters are oversimplified into mm. heroes and villains. Uh, and on the ultimatum, you just kind of had a, everyone was just a flawed human with attractive characteristics and flaws and toxic qualities and endearing qualities and things like that, which is, I think, super relatable to people like who, who are out there. I mean, we're, we've all been toxic. 100%. Uh, of in a relationship yeah. we're, we're I think we're sometimes afraid to acknowledge that because I think the internet has kind of watered down some of these kind of key words you know now all of a sudden it's like oh you're toxic oh no I'm not toxic because they don't want to be considered abusive mm-hmm. yeah so you asked about like the ultimatum I mean finances like on one aspect it's a relatable thing to want to be financially secure before you settle down but it's also kind of bullshit because you figure it out like most people's parents you know, like, I mean, my generation, like our parents, like, they didn't have anything when they got married and started having kids. They just figured it out. You know, that's mm-hmm. how it used to be. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you didn't family plan and you didn't like, mm-hmm. you didn't, you just, you're like, oh, we're in love. Let's get married. And we'll figure Where, it like, out. Where like now the conversations on the ultimatum were literally like, well, we can't have four kids because financially that's not realistic. But like, I bet I could afford two, maybe like it's yeah. fully planned out. I still think it's ultimately BS, like in yeah. terms of, because when you're when you want something especially when it comes to love and relationships you will you will put up with anything well this Uh, is what i said the whole time i when i first started watching the show i texted gabby and i was like i kind of don't get it because if that was really your person this wouldn't be a question like if if like i i don't know i just feel like if if you were really there with your person if like certain issues that were this big of a deal like marriage or not marriage i'm someone that never wanted to get married and my my parents were married till one of them died. Like they I had a great marriage, whatever. It just wasn't for me. The second I got with my partner I'm with now and found out that's important to him, changed everything for me. So I feel like if you're with the right person, those things become less of a ultimatum. But then I don't know, two of them ended up together. So clearly I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's it, it, it depends. I like this show. After talking to April, I found out that like, you know, obviously they were approached by the show, so hearing april talk about how they got on the show they were approached by the show not she yeah. went, oh no they, no, they like they, they found her on yeah, instagram spoiler alert uh, <laughs> wow they, like, they found them on instagram and kind of commented on their on on their instagram because so so it's not as if like april had been like giving say jake an ultimatum for six months and then the show wow. found him it was kind of like that's interesting. It pulled back it, the curtain in a way that it like, seemed hey. like a little less sincere of an ultimatum Yes. Okay. Then was originally presented. Um, it was like, which one would be more realistic to give an ultimatum? But I do think it was sincere that April wanted to get in, that wanted sure. to get engaged. I think she was yeah. very much ready and and and, but it wasn't like she was like threatening to break up with him. But it was like, right. yeah, no, I definitely want to, and maybe this will, maybe this will ignite a flame. And, and Jake, I think Oof. so. It wasn't totally disingenuous, but it wasn't like it, it wasn't of her volition or her initiation. Right. Per she se. didn't yeah. approach the show being like, yeah. I've been in this dilemma. 
right. where exactly. XYZ is happening. I gave right. him an ultimatum. I'm ready to right. leave. But I'm Which is how it's presented. Like to the person that wouldn't know or right. doesn't know shows like me. That's clearly how it's presented. While we could talk to you about the ultimatum for 100 years, there's so many things we want to talk to you about. First, though, we start all of our episodes by asking our guests to give us a little preview into something that they're unpacking. Is there something that you're unpacking at the moment? Like literally? Take it as you will. Like, like, Teffy, from- like, <laughs> like, listen, Teffy came on and was like, I haven't taken a shit in front of my boyfriend yet. And it's like making me feel weird. Whereas other people are like, I'm super depressed. Mommy so, like, issues. Yeah. You know, go, go take it where you will. But you're literally unpacking from Coachella. So there's that. Well, Natalie and I were very similar in a lot of ways, which I've, I've learned to really appreciate. But we both have a habit of like refusing to pack when we get home. Oh. We like it. We let it sit there for a day or two. Me, I feel. Like. Uh, but the 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 goal is that we both do it. So, and neither of us get on each other's nerves in that regard. Uh what am I unpacking? Like, I mean, like using Teffy's example, there's nothing I'm currently like dealing with that I'm. That's I mean, I guess I have too. a therap. I have a therapist. You know. Um, what about what about last lesson learned in therapy? Like instead mm-hmm. of what you're going through right now, what's like the last thing you just learned about yourself or like a new lesson that you've been taking with you recently? My therapy is always centered around Jeff. Hi, Jeff. We love that you have a dog with a human name, by the way. It's my favorite thing ever. Yeah. Thank you. My my therapy is always some version of of not ruminating and mm. not making uh, let, learning to let things go that are bothering me so yeah it's 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 reinforced like that's what why i started therapy mm-hmm. and it's always just like a reminder to know how to like like if a problem or anxiety comes up or something that's worrying me that i'm dealing with just to acknowledge and to not acknowledge it be like yeah it's bothering me okay like now i've acknowledged it and and then and then have the thought of like okay this is the situation it's this is what it is and this is what it's not and then like letting it go cuz like i would mm. i would normally just obsess over it over mm, and over same. and over and over and uh and which was really no point so i i i just have to actively tell myself to let it go which i you know i'm a huge believer in like controlling your thoughts which yeah me too you you can do and people and i was definitely one of those people who pretended that you couldn't like i was i'm i had no control over things that popped in my head and that's just not true and and you certainly have control of how how long you allow yourself to think about things and obsess mm-hmm. over them like you could just not you know cuz it's a um, lot easier to recognize a thought and call it out and change it than it is to like tell yourself to stop feeling sad. It's like CBT. Right. You can't control your feelings or physical symptoms. Like if you're anxious and you have a stomach ache, I can't look at my stomach and be like, grow up. I don't want to be anxious anymore. <laughs> but I can look at my thoughts and be like, okay, am I ruminating? Am I obsessing? Like, yeah. can I counteract that with a different thought? What else can I think about? So you're right. right. It is in your control in a different way. Yeah. Uh, you can stop asking yourself why when you don't need to, when you don't need to understand. Uh, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's all, it's accepting things, That's which a good is hard, one. hard for us that to do. That is a good one. It's a very good one. Um, um, when we were preparing for this episode, we both were looking at each other and we were like, okay, obviously we want to talk to you about the book. We want to talk about relationships, but there was one thing that we were like, 
we have so many questions about your childhood and like who you were pre anything to do with any sort of entertainment. Okay. I was texting Natalie. <laughs> she was like, he grew up real Catholic. And I was like, say less. <laughs> I go, say less. <laughs> Can we talk about that? Like, do you? Yeah, sure. Do you have any sort of shame around religion? Or I, I guess we should start with what's your relationship with religion yeah, right now? Like, how was your trajectory in the past and what is it right now? Well, I, I didn't realize it was Easter. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> While you were at Coachella, it didn't occur to well, you that. I was like, oh, Jesus it was Easter. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, yesterday was Easter? Wow. Like, I completely missed it. Um, so that helps put that in perspective. Great. I also will say like a Hail Mary uh, every now and then. It's like meditation. Anytime I feel like I'm having an unhealthy thought or a negative thought, or I'll see someone, like I see a negative situation, I just say, I, I weirdly have this habit of like saying a Hail Mary. I don't know why. It's a good replacement. Yeah. It's just like, it's still like a, a you know, it's a prayer. Uh, like, so my relationship is like, I'm weirdly still like, I, I still consider myself Catholic. I'm still a proud Catholic. I I struggle with my my belief in God and and I you know religion is man-made and it's deeply flawed mm. because of men and human beings. I don't think my God's better than your God, you know? So there's that. I think I want to believe in a higher power more than I might actually believe, but that's yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Here's what I appreciate about that answer. There is so much nuance in what you said, which I feel like sometimes when people talk about religion, because I grew up similar, right? Like my my parents weren't super religious, but my family was very Catholic. And I just feel like Latin Catholicism just hits different. Mm -hmm. and there's just it's. Yeah, yeah probably. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, I whatever. All of my thoughts on that. I have no issue with anybody having any sort of relationship with religion, with God, et cetera. My issue comes in when people feel the need to project their beliefs onto you and make you feel like a shitty person if you don't exactly agree with them. And I think that people's relationship with God or the universe or a higher power, or whatever you want to call it, is so individual and so unique to you that when you feel the need to impose it on other people, it's like how I feel when I see people who like shame people into drinking more. I'm like, why are you so well, insecure sure. about your drinking habits that you're like forcing me to drink? That's, a like, that's how I feel. Beautiful about analogy. Well, it comes from a couple of things. One, I think, I mean, at least Christianity, probably in any, every religion, there's an element of spreading, you know, the word of God, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's, it's kind of embedded into being a good disciple of whatever faith that you practice that you try to make other people believe what you believe. So there, there's that element. Then there's the element of, and probably the more honest assessment, especially nowadays, people projecting, like, you know, especially if it's a born again Christian. Oh. Right? Because we it's know like, him well. well, I found God. So like, you know, and I think it probably comes from a good place, right? You know, born again Christians, they're usually someone who had some sort of troubled childhood. And, and it could be all different types of things, but they definitely faced some conflict. They faced kind of moments of maybe hitting rock bottom and then they met someone or, or people who converted them and they found some comfort and peace in this community, which is great. But I think religion uh, really offers hope in that perspective. Yeah. Like if sure, you've been yeah. through a lot and if, if you haven't been presented with this idea of hope for something else before, I think if that's presented at the right time, boy, can that help you. 
Oh, yeah. Sure. Keep going yeah. on your thought, though. Yeah. So I, I just think, yeah, people, as humans, we have a tendency of if we feel like we've found God and we've found a sense of righteousness, and usually, especially born again, it comes from a place of like, want to repent from maybe guilt that we still feel. And so we project that shame onto other people for, you know, doing what we think is something we used to do. And, and mm -hmm. But I, I personally don't have, I'm, def, I'm definitely not like a former Catholic who's now very resentful of, mm. of cool. my childhood. Like, I mean, I, I went to church every Sunday into my 30s. I was a lector and served communion into my 30s. I, I just more like stopped going one day. I was just more like, I just feel like I'm not getting anything out of this. And it just was felt that a, like a conscientious choice at that time. Or did you like look back in hindsight and slowly see yourself kind of just not vibing anymore? Mm. I guess a little bit of, of both, but it was, it's more, it was just people, you know, like, mm. I guess I just started asking more questions and I think people just really turned me off about religion. I feel like humans have a way of, weirdly enough, religion was almost an excuse to not be good people. <laughs> you know, it not really holding yourself accountable. <laughs> it uh, really was. It started wars. It's, you know. Well, well yeah, yeah or just like petty fights between friends or cattiness or, uh, or just accountability for their own choices, you know? Right. Like, I, I definitely don't believe everything happens for a reason, you know, because I think that's just, it's a coping mechanism for either things outside of our control that we can't happen or more importantly, like things that we can control and we get wrong and we just say, oh, well, it happened for a reason. It's like, oh, maybe we fucked up. Uh, and maybe there's something to learn from it. what's scarier than taking accountability? Yeah. So, yeah, but I, I definitely do not have, I mean, I definitely had a lot of shame around like, you know, like sex and dating. Anytime I would hook up with someone in my late teens or early 20s, it was met with like, oh, fuck, I'm burning in hell. Was that not my first question, Gabby? The second yeah. Natalie texted Gabby Catholicism, I went sex shame. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. So there's definitely that. But I've yeah. always, I was very lucky. Like, I, you know, great parents. And I, I always, like, I grew up around priests and nuns. I was very comfortable with that. And I have, I've had nothing but great experiences. So I, I definitely don't have, it, it definitely was not the people I interacted with that turned me away. It, honestly, no one really turned me away. It was just me getting older and seeing the world a little bit more honestly. And, and then I think if you kind of leave the nest, so to speak, and you, and you move out like of say Wisconsin where I moved out of, or, you know, the Midwest and you just meet different people and different cultures and different religions. And like, again, just like the idea that my God is somehow better than your God is comical to me. Yeah. Uh, or that they're not the same. There's, yeah, and right. there's just a lot of people who, in fact, believe it, that it is. That part doesn't make sense for me. So, like, I think religion has its place because it can do a lot of great things for people, and it can be a sense of community, and it can and give people hope and inspire them, and it can keep people just balanced. It can kind of, it can keep people held accountable. You know, we do sometimes need a moral compass, but for me, I just I found like I was able to do that on my own and, and still have a relationship with whatever, I guess, God I believed in without necessarily like standing and kneeling and, and saying our father and taking communion and, yeah. and, you know, knowing that it's Easter. Has your family <laughs> had a similar trajectory? Because don't you have, you have a ton of siblings, don't you? How many siblings? Yeah, yeah. Do you have? I mean, uh, yeah, it's definitely, I don't even know. 
like who actively practices. I know I think my parents still go to church, but even my parents, I think as they've gotten older, uh, I think their children's, uh, I think, well, all their kids have had a, a profound influence on their lives as adults. You know, you know, my parents grew up both conservative. They were introduced by a Catholic priest. Wow. And then so Whoa. so much of their marriage was based off of their religion and faith. And obviously having 10 kids or 11 kids and me having 10 siblings wasn't a coincidence. Wait, sorry, what number are you? I'm the second oldest. Oh, okay. Uh, wow. Is the first oldest a boy or a girl? Girl. Okay. Um, oldest son. Big deal. So, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think... Um, yeah, they, they played a big part of their life, but as their kids got older and expanded their point of view on on things, you know, like if you don't, if you live in the same community your life, you're just gonna be ignorant about stuff because it's, it's just an a echo fact. level. Yeah, yeah, it's just like you're just, you just don't know. You know, it's it's not like you're right. not it's not coming from a place of hate or right. Uh, it's just you just don't know better. And I think you know when you have eleven kids uh, who you know move around and see the world and interact with people. My parents have always been incredibly welcoming and open and kind of a lover of all people. So like whatever they didn't know, it just kind of came from a place of ignorance. And they've always mm-hmm. been kind of willing to uh, have their kids like show them things they didn't know about. And I think that's changed that's their rare. point of view on certain things. Yeah, I feel incredibly fortunate in that regard because yeah, parents don't always like to be taught by their kids. Um, yeah. But my parents have been uh, really good that way. It's slightly tangential, but I we all know I love tangents over here. Do we feel like we are allowed today the same excuse of like, oh, like if you if we lived in Wisconsin before the internet, right? That echo bubble and that chamber and just not knowing, of course that's not malicious, of course that's not your fault, of course that's just where you're at. Do you think we offer or should be offering people the same excuse nowadays with so much access to information? Like do you think do you think not seeking out other perspectives when it's more readily available than it's been in the past should be considered in how we look at the maliciousness of ignorance. Does that make sense? I feel like, and I'm speaking in a big, big picture perspective here. Right. Like I, I feel like there should be, I mean, look, I'm not in school anymore. I don't know what they're teaching kids in elementary school, but I feel like that's a lesson that needs to be taught in schools of like the way to navigate social media and the way to like actually find other opinions and other news that is like productive because I feel like the internet is just another version of an echo chamber and it's just totally like your algorithm is just full confirmation The the internet, Yes. The the internet is not made to better inform. It's it's made to keep you obsessed with with whatever it is you're obsessed with. Or send those reward signals in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, like you don't have to be the most enlightened person, you know, as a 12 year old growing up. Right. Like, <laughs> and I think part of life is, you know, leaving the nest and seeing the world. And, you know, we're all, we're always going to have some level of ignorance because things are constantly changing. People are constantly evolving and no one's a finished product. And I just think, um, I think sometimes, especially in, in the time that we're in, uh, I think people are afraid to even acknowledge their own ignorance, which I think is disappointing and it's a shame because, you know, we live in a time where, you know, if, well, if I admit that I have ignorance or I'd said something ignorant, you know, there's a difference between ignorant and hateful. Um, Hell yeah. And, and I think some, you know, if you can't acknowledge your own ignorance then you can't learn 
you know, and if you're too afraid to acknowledge your inner ignorance, then it's, it's tough because yeah, you can find things on the internet, but sometimes it's just, you know, the best way to become for me, a, a more empathetic and understanding person is to have a conversation with someone who's experienced something that I have a hard time relating to. Like, you know, mm. that's how I've become more empathetic with women. I just have an audience of women and I just listen to their stories all day long. And it's much easier for me to become, you know, more understanding of, of things that women go through because I'm just listening to them and I'm hearing them. And so who, whatever your, wherever, wherever your ignorance come from, sitting down with people who can share a different perspective, um, is, is really helpful. Um, and I think sometimes that can just has to come over time and with experience and that's, that's part of life. And I think we always tend to learn a little bit better when we're ready to learn, you know, exactly. For example, yeah. I might, one of my shows, I, people call me for advice. It works because they've written in and they're ready to hear advice. But like, if you're not ready to hear, hear it, you're, you're not listening and you'll just uh, disagree. So you know, if we sometimes try to force ideas down people's throats and tell them they have to think or feel a certain way, that's only going to create more conflict. And I don't have the, you know, it's like we're, we're definitely going down a rabbit hole, but like I, I certainly don't have the answers, but I do feel like we should be allowed to acknowledge our ignorance without the fear of retribution as long as we're willing to uh, hold ourselves accountable and, and, and learn so that we no longer have that ignorance. If you can't admit that you don't know something, then you're never going to learn from it. But we've, we were kind of operating in a time where sometimes people are afraid to even admit that they don't know. It's just like, fuck, I don't know. Because they think they'll just be canceled for not Yeah, I mean, there's right. a little bit of that too. I also want to say that's something that I heard I think is so admirable about you as a man with a microphone, which is funny because that's being <laughs> shit on all over my For You page, is that I heard you on Trash Tuesday say you've, done so much listening in that role that you're like at the same time I have a job that's me talking and giving advice and you've had to really learn how to like when people are in the position that they're asking for it or not in your real life and I fucking relate to that because I was a mental health worker so I like my friends would come to me and I'd be like do you want me to therapize you right now or do you want me to listen like, yeah. like just your bitch, version yeah. of that fucking when you were talking about that fucking hit me because I was like, oh, yeah, I had to learn that, too, because I have I have fully therapized friends where it was not appropriate. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, yeah. we all love to give an opinion. Of course, especially when we think our opinions are so good. <laughs> like, give me a microphone. <laughs> Let me run. I guess for me, though, now that it's become like part of my job, like I have sometimes I don't have a problem sitting it out. And then sometimes I'm just like, all that asked. And I'm like, I don't, do you, do you really want to hear my opinion? <laughs> I feel like you've said that to me before. Like when I'll like go on, you know, our like dinners with me, Natalie and Nick, where I just, I'm like, parents tell me how to live my life. <laughs> and I feel like you've said that to me before where you're like, do you actually want to know what I'm thinking? Um, I love is that. that part of the reason why you felt the need to write your book, which by the way, if you don't know, Nick has a book coming out. Um, which by the way, I was very honored when you asked me to read it and give my opinion. I'm pretty sure oh, the first question I asked you, I was like, is it a memoir? Am I gonna have to like give you feedback <laughs> on your own life? And you were like, no, it's sure it's not. Definitely not a memoir. Yeah. <laughs> not. She really liked it too. She told I me. I did that. like it. I did like yeah. it. And I thought there were I really what I liked about it, and I said it to you in my notes, I was like, 
so many of these relationship focused books can feel so self-indulgent to the author Mm -hmm. and meadow and i talk about that a lot we're like it was something that I felt like I needed to work on in the beginning of this podcast because I was like, oh, I felt the need to react to everything the guest was saying and give my own personal story to back it up and to like relate to them in a certain way when that only gets sort of gets you so far in life. So what I like about your book and anyone who's reading it or is going to go read it in the future, like I liked that about it, that you gave just enough personal story and personal narrative to give context slash be like, I'm not coming from a place of judgment, but it also wasn't about you. You know? Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that. that. Was definitely the goal. A lot of my peers have written memoirs, mm. which, you know, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Say less. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was hoping to write a book that might, honestly, like, have a shelf life longer than, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, a second. Um, mm. And well, maybe it won't. I don't know. You know, it's not out yet. But. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to, you know, certainly use some of my own stories, but uh, I use obviously stories from people who called into my show, stories from my friends. It was just kind of, you know, anecdotal stories that kind of helped related to the topics I was discussing. Um, yeah, without making it all about, especially, I mean, again, my, I, I, have, to, I have to always be conscious of my audience and who they are. And as a straight white male, like it's, it's not always the most relatable point of view. Um, we love the even, disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I've always, like everything I do write about or talk about uh, comes from a place of something I have personally experienced and had to learn the hard way. And my goal is always to try to make people feel more empowered with the choices they make because I definitely know what it's like to feel helpless when it comes to to love and dating and feel fear or feel broken and, and feel scared. And that can be a really terrifying feeling if you let it be, but it doesn't have to be. And I think that's generally the overall theme of the book and it's really the theme of everything I, I, I talk about, which I think is is relatable to anyone, but I think I just had to be mindful and and you know use other people's examples because that way it gave kind of a variety of 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 context all while like giving a couple nuggets of like yeah you know I've been in it too because mm -hmm. like you said I, I wanted to also say like I you know my credibility comes from like I have I felt this way and I don't feel this way now and and I have been scared and terrified and I've have felt broken um, and I've gotten through it and here's how, and here's the things I wish I knew. And, and hopefully that was enough to, I find it you know. interesting though, when people get so, I don't want to use the word angry, but I feel like people get defensive, especially like people in your position when it's like a man giving any sort of advice, people get really defensive and angry about it sometimes. And like, look, I'm in that crowd. Sometimes I think there are certain people on the internet that just like do not deserve any sort of microphone or anything yeah. but what's again what i enjoy about your book and what i enjoy about the way that you give advice because like listen i read your ask nicks when you do them on instagram i'm scrolling through those answers you constantly go back to that place of like hey i've, I've been there and that's a valid point that you just made of i've been there and i no longer feel this way because isn't that the point of everything we're trying to do it's the point of this fucking podcast i'm sure it's the point of your podcast and things that we all do is to like make someone feel a little bit less alone. Like, why are we so angry about it? You know? 
Yeah, it just uh, it's just more peace of mind, really. And so whether you get it from me or someone else, um, yeah. But uh, I am, I do one of the more flattering comments I've I've received on on, on TikTok is uh, the only guy we want to have a mic. So I feel like that. <laughs> and it's Take because it. you're so good with those disclaimers, baby. Uh, oh yeah, I the think book that, is good disclaimer. That was a win. Uh, oh, those, awesome. those comments. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, yeah, because like I, I, I was very careful to make. It's not about gender in my my, my book, you know. Like mm-hmm. it's when I didn't need to specify gender, I didn't. So I, I often don't. There's definitely no, you know, five things guys hate, you know. <laughs> well, that's what I love about that's what I love about your content too, because I'm like a queer girl in a straight relationship. But whenever I listen to shows or advice like that, it feels so fucking heteronormative. It's like hard to listen to. And I think what you always go out of your way to do is make a point about like, it's the dynamics between two people in the relationship. It doesn't matter what those gender identities are, but it's like, what are, what is each individual bringing and what energy and what dynamic and like working through that Mm -hmm. as it is. And like acknowledging like Gabby and I talk about masculine and feminine energies all the time. Like we're not ignorant to that and we're not ignoring that. And obviously that plays a huge role, but it also like is not the five things guys hate. <laughs> Have yeah, you read I mean, the book uh, Why Men Love Bitches? Uh, I'm familiar with the book. So um, my friend was just staying with me and she was reading it and she was like, you need to read this. And I think I made it through like maybe like the first like 70 pages. And like, look, half of it's hilarious and half of it's like, oh, it's interesting to get for as like a straight female, like in relationships with men. Who is it, it, a woman wrote it? A woman wrote it. But it is okay. interesting to like hear the perspective in the same way that I like to go to my guy friends with certain things. Totally. But at the same time, and like we'll talk about it later, I just I feel like it it sort of quantifies things in this like hard and fast way that like leaves no space for gray areas. But wait, anyway. I do have a dating question though, Nick, because you mm-hmm. said something earlier that I've been thinking of. You said uh no one's a finished product. Like we're always learning, we're always growing. And I fully fucking stand by that. Like I always want to be a student. I love learning. But I used to be one of those people before my current partner in relationships where I would say like I was always my best self during breakups. Like anytime I went through a breakup, I got more into who I was as a person. I came back to what I like to do, what I'm interested in. Explore your fashion. Like I it gave me the space to come back to who I was. And I always thought that that level of self-growth was not possible at the same time being with someone. And obviously he's completely changed my mind because I wasn't with the right person. And I didn't get the whole one plus one equals three, but I'm just, I'm curious as for you, where, like, when did that lesson come into play for you? Have you always been that way in relationships? Did that come like throughout the journey? Like how is your personal development while dating, especially in the public eye to this fucking extreme? Like, I'm just curious how that's been for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, my twenties was based off of primarily three serious relationships. Um, Wait, sorry, context. How old were you when you went on The Bachelor the first time? Thirty-three. Thirty-three. Okay, so twenties yeah. are all prior yeah. to industry. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, I don't remember having a thought about it, and I guess I don't really remember having an epiphany where I'm like, oh, I'm never a finished product. But I suppose I've always, on some level thought that about life you know um Mm -hmm. and i think part of it comes from my days of 
being an athlete back in the day and you know, I don't know why I thought the words that were gonna come out of me being an asshole back in the day. I was oh. like, oh good <laughs> self-reflection, Nick. Uh, Gabby hears the word athlete and thinks the word asshole. What does that say about you, babe? Yeah, that's a projection. Yeah, we all know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to your dating questions after. Um, Great. Yeah. So, you know, because if, you know, as an athlete, you're constantly trying to excel and grow and get better. So yeah. there's a love that mindset, mm-hmm. I think, helps. But yeah, I mean, because I, I, I was definitely, I was in my 20s, I was not, I, I was the opposite of you. I definitely did not embrace heartbreak and breakups like Mm, okay (laughs) uh, and to survive it i had to change my mindset and Mm. get to the mental state of mind that i am now and and that's i guess why i'm passionate about it because i'm definitely i use this term loosely but there is some truth to it where like i do feel like i'm a survivor of heartbreak you know that was tender and (laughs) And, and, and heartbreak that really broke me and, yeah. and, and made me really scared if I would be okay. And, mm. and a lot of it, I made worse on myself, you know? Mm. And I made worse mostly because of, it was kind of my own, like it all came from a good place of wanting to love so hard. And, and I just, I took a lot of things I learned from my parents that was like, noble and 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 good but like i just kind of didn't use it properly you know um Mm -hmm. and and i didn't know how to let go and i didn't know how to accept and i wasn't kind of self-aware about my ego and the role that played and and things like that i've come a long way from the person who had been heartbroken or dealt with heartbreak even if i was breaking up with the person to someone who like understands that you'd you don't have to let yourself hurt that much. And that doesn't necessarily mean you, that you weren't in love or that it wasn't meaningful. You just have to accept, let go, and then move forward. And that can be exciting as much as it can be scary, but that idea that you're not a finished product is, is, can be um, like peace of mind because... I think when you're younger and you're in your twenties, you there's something in our brains that feel like twenty five's the end, you know. And so it's like, ah, you know, yeah. like, I, have to, I, want, oh, I need yeah. to have it all figured out, you know. And it's if you don't, that can be scary, but you're not supposed to. But you know, when you're eighteen or seventeen, it felt so old, and yeah. and uh, you know, kind of society used to tell us to be finished products in our our early to mid twenties, and. That's changed. Oh, a hundred percent. I've said it to Meadow a million times that I never felt some type of way about a birthday until I turned twenty-five, and yeah. it like oh, everything I, yeah. hit me. I panicked on my twenty-fifth birthday. I, oh, yeah. I, I, I had legit <laughs> kind of a breakdown. Uh, Let's talk about it. What'd you do on your twenty-fifth birthday? How did it go for you? It was a rainy Wednesday, and I, I went to a baseball game with my family. <laughs> oh, he's like, I know exactly oh, I know. what the weather was. And where? I just, I just remember feeling really bad about myself. I was like, I'm a oh. fucking loser. Um, oh. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was. Um, I just wasn't where I I thought I would be, which I think is pretty yeah. common for people, uh, in their twenties. I mean, and when you're, it's so crazy, but when you're in your mid to early twenties, you're trying to live up to the expectations you set for yourself when you were seventeen. Oh yeah, yeah. You no, know, it's just insane. And it's like, why <laughs> am I did listening we know? to what? 
Yeah, exactly. Why am I listening to what my 17-year-old ass thought that I should be doing? Like, yeah, but, bitch, I've learned so much from that. Why am I doing that? But that's, I really that's what like, we do. Yeah. Yeah. I really like what you said, though, because I, I fucking feel that about my one real, like my first breakup ever was my real earth shattering one that made all my other breakups. I was like, fuck it. I'm not doing that again. And I was 18 and whatever. We don't have to go through the whole story. But I do viscerally remember thinking, like, if I don't hurt this bad, I didn't love them that much. Like, mm. I, like I wanted to mm-hmm. hurt as much as I loved. Mm-hmm. And that's such faulty fucking logic. Like, what? That like, I, I just think that's yeah. so what you said that. You said, like, you don't have to hurt that deep. Like, you can choose to, like, acknowledge all the love you had and still not let that hit as hard and move on oh, and yeah, through I that. Mean, and I think that's so important to emphasize. People often make the mistake of thinking that the pain they feel um, means they should keep fighting for something. Exactly. Um, and it, it has nothing to do with it. It's just, it's just pain of something ending and, and sadness. And that's and, okay. And yeah. you can feel all that. But um, you don't have to act because of it. Also, yes. Okay, I agree with what both of you are saying about like making, like living in that pain. So I think that's a, a thing that dramatic people like me enjoy doing. Because then you can be like, oh, like, look, I'm, I'm sitting. Oh in yeah, it. I, I call it love to hurt so good. Yeah, but it's also okay. part part of the reason why we do that is because it's like the stages of a breakup. It's mm-hmm. you you hurt, and you you actually choose to hurt more. Yeah, because it's the only thing you have left of the relationship of and the them. person. And the the moment you actually say no, it's I'm not going to keep thinking about their birthday or the car they drive, and I'm not going to keep noticing, even though you're like going out of your way to notice. Um, <laughs> you're just like that's all I see is this. It's like you're looking. Um, <laughs> it's like you're checking their story every che- day. Yeah, because we want to tell ourselves it means something, or there's there's a bigger spirit or thing out there. And it's just, it's just scary to say goodbye to something. It's scary to let go. That's something a lot of us do when going through a breakup is because it's just it's scary to say goodbye. Because it's one thing to be broken up with and right. they break our hearts and maybe they're already dating someone else. But we, it's hard to let go of hope. And, um, and I think a side effect of, of holding on to a hope that you should let go mm-hmm. is unnecessary you know pain and heartbreak and suffering that we put on ourselves as a way to validate our our choices so you know what's another type of pain and suffering and fear that we put on ourselves that we like don't need to is just like this concept of situationships which i feel like i was introduced to in college and didn't i just thought it was like a really fucked up crush and i thought i just like really loved having crushes on people and then it wasn't until like this year when that term sort of started be, like going around and people were actually talking about it that I was and also I was single or I am single and like living in that and going through those things that I was like, why am I putting myself through such unnecessary situations because no one's communicating? So I want to talk to you about hookup culture because I have so many thoughts and I like how you talk about it on Ask Nick and in your book and on the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. And one of my first thoughts with it is that I feel like because everybody's talking about it. We're creating these like hard and fast rules that I brought up a little bit before, especially like when I was talking about that book, men, Why Men Love Bitches, where it leaves no room for gray area. And I feel like it's giving people an excuse to not use their deductive reasoning skills and like use their fucking brain and like actually listen to what their heart and brain and like 
soul needs and wants. And you talk a lot about it in the book, but through the lens of setting expectations and knowing what your expectations are ASAP and like acknowledging it with acknowledging those things with the other person. So I wanted you to speak a little bit about that and about setting expectations. Is it too soon? Are you going to scare someone away? I think that's the fear that a lot of people have, especially in these like situationshipy type of things, because it's such a fucking scary territory because you're like, at least in relationships, you know what you are. But when you're in these like weird hookup situationships, you don't, there's no communication. And then wait, Gabby, I also, Mm -hmm. we should totally get Nick's opinion on Jesse's intentional dating protocol right now. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll talk. Okay. But let's talk about setting expectations, please. Can you give me like a rundown? Teach me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh... (laughs) Asking for a friend. (laughs) Well, there's there's expectations and then there's boundaries. So Mm -hmm. expectations are just things that you want for yourself or of your partner if you're in a relationship or the people you let in your circle. Um... And you should always be upfront with your expectations. And mo- the person you should be upfront with those first is yourself, which that's the biggest mistake people make is they don't. They, they pretend that they're okay with things they're not okay with. Right. Um, for fear of things like rejection or not getting what they want or just maybe they just don't want to be bored. Um, and so they avoid setting up for expectations for, like you said, Gabby, like, oh, well, it's going to scare them away. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we talk so much and, you know, about holding people accountable and expecting more from the people we date. But if we don't expect more from ourselves, then we, how can we hold the people we date more accountable? Mm-hmm. You know? So like, if you're tired of being fuckboyed by a fuckboy, if you're tired of being in a situation ship, like you, you have to ask yourself, you know, what could I be doing differently? And part mm-hmm. of it is like, you know, you don't have to try to be the cool chick or the cool person. And, you know, when I talk about hookup culture, it's more just acknowledging what it is and what it isn't, you know? Because, right. um, I mean, people have all these different opinions on what it means to be hooked. Like people will be like, well, I've never had a one night stand. It's like, okay, congratulations. Great. Um, <laughs> You're a loser. Just kidding. Just kidding. Well, that, just kidding. that doesn't mean like you haven't participated in hookup culture. And then, right, right. You know, people, it's just like, well, we know each other so well. It's like, do you though? You know, because like, how many times have you heard the story? It's like, well, we were dating for like, you know, two and a half, three months. And then, <laughs> oh my God. and then he I'm said how much he liked me. Single and one then, of like, and then it's just like one day he didn't and and I'm just like and I'm like well you didn't set any expectations you just started having sex and Mm -hmm. and that's fine you know have Mm -hmm. sex and I and people like will ask me like well how soon should I have sex with someone as if like there's like there's a fucking book yeah yeah and and I'm, I'm just a big believer in the fact that people aren't prioritizing what it means to have an emotional connection with someone. Well, I mean, how could you too, when like we have all of these things at our disposal, we have all these dating apps where it's like a fucking game and you're just swiping, swiping, swiping. Like why? Are, yeah. It's well, like- and I think people now that we have hookup culture, right? So hookup culture, essentially people just, you know, we, we are far more accepting of sex outside mm-hmm. of relationship and marriage 
which is still really new. Still really yeah. new. Like, I think it... we all act like that's like a baseline of what it should be. And like, I'm so pro sex. Like, I get it. But I also am aware of the fact that like, this is a very fucking new concept for a lot of the population still alive right now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, not only that, but it's still relatively new. But at the same time, it's like people often confuse sex positivity with with like still respecting what sex means and 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 also with pretending like it like it doesn't still have, play a significant role in a relationship you know mm. and things mm-hmm. like that and i think people mm-hmm. now that we're having sex outside of relationships are using sex as a way to um determine the strength of a connection or how much someone may or may not like them and you know, part of it is like, oh, I'm afraid to sleep with them too soon because, you know, um, like I'm afraid that like they'll, it'll change how they feel about me. But like they also want to like, you know, hook up and, and have sex with this person. And, and, you know, they'll say things, well, he said he liked me. So it's like he probably did like you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now he doesn't anymore. You know, well, you, make, um, you say sex in a good way in the book where you make a comment that I want to like clarify to people listening of you talk about the very simple concept that we forget of have sex when you want to have sex because you want to have sex, not because it's going to impact the way that it feels about you. Well, if you're having sex in hookup culture, I'm a big believer in have sex because you want to have sex and for no other reason. Right. Because if you're hooking up in hookup culture, that means you are having sex with someone you don't have an established emotional connection. And what I mean by, because I get a lot of, like, People oh, get so angry at you. So they're like, what do you define mean? Define established emotional I have, connection. And I, yeah, and I define it by basically saying, you know what? It means that you're not confused. You're not wondering yeah. if they're going to call. You're not wondering how they feel about you. You, yeah. you. you feel confident that they are aware of your insecurities. You are only, you're already aware of things they don't even like about you. And you're still like, you're not worried every day if they're still going to be there. You know, that, that yeah. as a minimum. Right. right yeah. So if you don't have that, if you're still wondering or slightly insecure about how they feel about you or even if they like you, uh, you know, despite what they said. But like, do you really believe that? And, and are you con- are, can you be your truest self around them out of fear without fear of judgment or if they're still going to accept you? That's that's the minimum. Right. And that takes time and it takes longer than a week or five dates or 10 dates. It sometimes takes months. It really depends on how much you want to be open and share and, and things like that. But sex isn't going to change that. Sex doesn't bring, you know, having sex with someone in the third or fourth week uh, doesn't make you closer from an emotional connection standpoint. You know, like it can make you, there's a mm-hmm. bond certainly with sex and you, it, but that it's that it's just through the act of sex and, and the bond of, of, of sex, but it like the chemical. Yeah. It doesn't, know, it doesn't, Oxytocin. they don't, ma- they can't, all of a sudden read your mind and know what you're insecure about you and make you feel accepted. It doesn't give you a sense of <laughs> imagine, yeah. imagine literally like two people come and it's like they exchange information, <laughs> like in that moment, how easy life would be. Yeah. So too many people are out there hooking up in hookup culture, too afraid to define their relationship, but willing to have sex and then feeling a lot of frustration and disappointment and feeling used when feelings inevitably change because, you know, we only knew 10% about this person. And once they learned 40%, they were like, I don't know if this is the person for the rest of my life. 
And we get angry inside because we feel like, well, but I, you said you liked me, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. I, and I decided to have sex with you based off the fact that you said you liked me. And it was like, but you. But you, they did. Maybe. They, right maybe then. they did. And they don't now. And, and you decided, yeah, well, you had sex it, without an established connection, which is fine. Have sex. But like the only way you're going to avoid disappointment is to choose to have sex because you want to have sex with someone you like and, and, and treats you who nicely. Who also wants to have sex with who you. Who also wants to have sex and who likes you. But you guys, you have to be honest that like there's so much more to learn about each other. And we like to, we just pretend that's not the case. And, yeah. you know, that wasn't a problem before hookup culture was a thing because, you know, there was a lot of shame and judgment around sex. So there's more people waiting and they weren't comfortable with mm-hmm. like so freely having sex outside of relationships. And, and now that we are, we, we have to create new boundaries and new conversations around this so that we feel less disappointed and caught off guard or used. But again, it starts with setting expectations with ourselves of what do I want out of this situation I've chosen to be a part mm-hmm. of? Like, what do I want and, from this? You know, I, but then how do you, how do you then go take that step? Cause it's one thing to like, know what you want out of it and have that clarity in your mind but then it's another thing to actually communicate it to the other person and i feel like that's where things often get lost in translation or you expect the other person to know what you're thinking and we end up disappointed so how do you actually in your opinion think the best way to communicate that when is it too soon because that's where i was saying when i brought up earlier like scare the concept of like scaring someone off is like about like what you're looking for Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, what do you, I mean, what do you mean like, by scaring someone off? Because, for example, right? Let's say you're in a situation, like, as if I'm not talking about a situation that I was exactly in, <laughs> and I, you approach it from the, because I always like what you, you and Natalie always say this, and I think it's so true. Where it's like, you don't. The first mistake so many people make is going into a room and being like, "What are yeah. we?" No, you go into a situation. We've said on the podcast, you go into a situation telling someone where you're at, yeah. where you want, what you want. And then if they meet you there, they meet you there. Great. If they don't, they don't. And you say it in the book too. Not me remembering quotes from your book. Being like rejection or rejection clarity. is clarity. Yeah. Something about that. So rejection's still an I answer. Guess, yeah. Rejection's an answer. Yeah. You get the clarity from that situation. But I guess some people, and not even me, to like I know I'm joking about my situations a lot, but I've had this conversation with friends where they feel like if they bring something up with the person they're hooking up with, let's say like I don't know, whatever date number that they feel comfortable doing it, they feel like the other person's going to automatically jump to the conclusion of like, oh my God, this person's like, they're going to, I know they're saying this, but they're, they're trying to date me. Like, or, oh my God. But like, then they, 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 then they get, do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, exactly. again, it comes down to like, what you. communicate based on assumption. It also comes down to like, what right. do you really want from this relationship or situation that, that you're in? Again, if, if you're yeah. looking to, if you're, if, if this person's a fuck buddy, and you get some real good sex from this person and, and deep down you know they're not ready for a relationship, then I, I guess I understand avoiding conversations because you don't want to ruin this yeah. good thing and that good thing is some real good sex. But other than that, yeah. again, people, they'll say they want to find their person and they'll say they want a relationship and, be, and then invest and a bunch of people or just be afraid to find out that the person they're hanging out with isn't on the same page as them. And, and people are, mm-hmm. are so afraid 
to get that clarity because often that clarity means quote unquote rejection to find out that the person I'm excited about isn't as excited about me as I am with them. And we just hate hearing it. Mm -hmm. So we avoid it. So once we get better at just, you know, dealing with a little bit of rejection and that rejection is, you know, it's just someone just saying, nah, I don't want what you want. And then our egos make it feel really scary because it's, um, egos like to tell us that we're losers, but like, I literally (laughs) was just going to say that. I was going to say, do you think this is like a self-worth thing? Cause it, in my mind, I've, I've totally been there, but because I'm in a relationship now in my mind, hearing like, oh, I don't want to say something because I'm worried they're not going to meet that or meet that with rejection. It's like, well, then if someone doesn't want you, why the fuck you want them? True. You but know? like, we're like, so afraid of, you know, right. but people don't, people don't see someone not liking them is a valid reason to understand that they're not your person. <laughs> Which is like, I'm That's sorry, nuts. psychotic <laughs> behavior to me. It's like, like, babe, they're telling you, like, yes. listen. Yeah. I don't because, get and that's it. Because, I don't get well, it. Well, it's because it, because our, our ego, it's a, what I refer to as like an ego triggering event. And then when our yeah. egos are triggered, we, they, they take over and they tell you that you're doing something wrong. And because your ego is simultaneously mm-hmm. telling you we're a loser while also telling you there's no possible way someone can't right. like you. So right. you just need to figure out what it is that you're doing wrong and fix it fast. And we become kind of consumed by that mentality rather than saying, wait, this person doesn't appreciate and see what I bring to the table, even though there's so many other people who will. And like, I can't, I don't like at a minimum, I'm not going to invest into someone who doesn't like see that in me. And, and to see that as a flaw in them rather than a flaw in yourself is, I think, something most people need to really try to, to work on and something certainly I've had to work on. And it really just comes down to uh, acknowledging your ego and the role it plays. But you have to understand your self-worth and believe that you bring something to the table and, and see people's lack of interest and in investing in you as a problem for them as it relates to you. Do you remember? Period. Yeah, seriously. Do you remember your first conversation clearly communicating your expectations and boundaries to Natalie? Uh, no. And what date was it? <laughs> Number three. It was every I mean, I'm a pretty communicative guy. So there's, I, I've never had a problem with telling people what I want and think and feel. And with Natalie, it was. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I probably the first weekend we met, but that boundary was we'll never date. Um, oh my God, that's right. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, um, yeah. He was like, I'm not. She really date had you. to. She was you like, made her Great. work. She said, "Bet, find yeah. out." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I just, Love I just, at the time, not knowing much about her, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to give her false expectations. And at the time, that's how I felt about the situation. So I was quick to set those expectations, um, which I'd still believe like was a good thing because we were never not on the same page. Like we, yeah. we never okay, wondered wait. what the other person was thinking. Right. That's how I feel but, about Aaron and I too. But here's my question with that, because you're saying in that situation, you're telling Natalie, I'm not going to date you. And we can hear from, I mean, she's not here to defend herself or say exactly what she was thinking, but what if in that situation she was like, 
no, but I want to date him and continued to pursue you, giving up her own boundary. And then now well, maybe that wasn't her together and like, very I can't happy. speak for her, but at the time it could not have been her boundary. Like, well, you know, we didn't really know each other then. So she wasn't invested mm-hmm. in me at all. Mm-hmm. And, right. Okay. 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 This was early and, on. And so I feel I can say comfortably that she didn't have this, like, she's not delusional, right? So, like, we didn't know each other. So she's like, okay. Right. Thanks for letting me know. I, you know, and we still, like, enjoy each other's company, but we never, so we weren't, so early on, I think me saying that did offer some clarity for both of us because she always knew where I stood. And, like, now, granted, as we Mm. kept hanging out, she would check in, you know, she would say, hey, you know, like, I... We have been hanging out. I know you said this before, but like um, my feelings are starting to change and this is what I want. Do you still feel the same way? And early on, I would be like, I do, unfortunately. And so like you can set a boundary, enforce it, and then reevaluate that and change. But like, it's all about if when you start asking, like people spend too much time, like first having conversations with themselves instead of having conversations with the person they're supposed to be having it with. And then they or have with conver- their friends. Yeah, oh yeah. Then the next step is having it with their friends instead of the person yep. they should be having it with. And then the next step is TikTok yeah. and, and the then, internet. Then it's the and podcast. Then, and, then, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then they finally get to that person, and they don't even tell them. They're just like, "So what do you want? You know, right. what are you yeah. thinking? What do you?" Because they think they've communicated to them, but no, you've communicated to everyone else in your echo chamber. <laughs> so <laughs> here's that, my you know. here's my here's my issue with the fucking internet in this situation is like. My, Okay, when you're obsessing with something with your friends, I feel very lucky that I have a group of friends where they only give me a certain amount of time to talk about something. (laughs) And if they start to see me obsessing, you guys shut it down real fast and are like, all right, ma'am. But then you you just go find and turn to our go find another friend, you know, or a phone or or you go on your phone and then the internet is just like it's a con and the thing is I was never I mean, I don't want to say I was never an obsessive type of person, but I don't think it was as bad as it got probably like, I don't know, like five months ago, for example. Like, I feel like I've really worked through the obsessive phase, but I was like in this obsessive thing. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that A, like my friends weren't shutting down the conversation and B, not not to blame you guys, but and B, (laughs) that like the internet, like I go, I, that's when I like really started going on TikTok. Yeah. And it really started like reinforcing all the narratives. And I felt like I had this never ending stream of someone to talk did to. You, yeah. Did you about read my uh, chapter on the internet as not your therapist? Oh, sure did. Sure. It's in her notes. <laughs> uh, but that's my point. <laughs> One yeah, of her favorites. The, the internet is definitely, uh, <laughs> it's a place we go to for comfort. And it does not, it, it's a place to get stuck, not to find, um, yeah, the internet will just feed into your obsession. So if you're, if whatever you're feeling, it will reinforce that feeling. It it won't help that feeling. It's it's actually designed to do that. So it, it's definitely not a place um, for that. So or we, social media, def- I think, not the internet. Well, I, I include the internet with social yeah. media. I, I, the internet is part of social media. Social media is part of the internet. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, specifically. Like what came first, chicken or the egg? Yeah. But but truly, yeah. like I mean, you know, you you can find whatever you're looking for. So, and it's just confirmation bias. And when we're fragile and broken and sad, and we're looking for hope, specifically, uh, 
we can find hope through the internet. And that's not usually, you know, when we're heartbroken, hope's not necessarily, uh, well, hope has its time and place, but we need to be careful how we look for hope uh, when we're vulnerable. We just found the the Venn diagram of internet and religion. Gives you hope. I look at the uh, full circle. Yeah. Literally was took the words out of her, my her mouth. circle moment. It was like, don't find it in religion. What was this intentional <laughs> dating thing you guys were talking about? Oh, meta ticket. Okay, away. so we have a we have a friend that we got lunch with recently that said that they're on this kind of new program working with a group of life coaches that have oh boy. they're all a bunch of like old like <laughs> I say old God that was rude to me. Sorry, women. They're a bunch of like fifty something year old New Yorker women. And they have this protocol where it was, gosh, Gabby, you're going to have to help us for me because I kind of forget. But it was like, I'll take it. There was like three breakdowns, and they're the three H's, and it's called head, heart, and hoo ha. And when you go on dates with people, (laughs) you have to like communicate your expectations or your boundaries very clearly, very intentionally. And they make a point to say that, and they want you to do that and come back with how those conversations went, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of your dates, you give each person three dates and you rate them on a scale of one to 10. You're not telling this person. Yeah, you're not telling them. This is all just your internal reflection. (laughs) Okay. And you're you under those three categories, you list what's important for you. So like emotional compatibility or someone that understands this part of me, whatever it may be, you like Mm -hmm. write whatever those rules are for yourself. And then you rate them on how much you felt that you got that from this person. You give them three the girl scout three bites mm-hmm. and then if they reach if they are an eight out of ten or higher or was it seven Gabby? whatever the whatever. i don't it was know either whatever eight the or seven is. out of ten or higher then you continue to date them but here's what i like about it hold on before we get into the commentary this is what i liked about it and it's also coming from a person that meadow and i like deeply trust and respect oh like, my gosh above all lead else. with yeah but who created this here's thing? what i like about it is i have no idea what'd you say the, this the person who created this. No, that, oh, so it's not the person. It's who, a group of life coaches gotcha. no. based out of New York. Our friend is participating in it. Yeah, not he did. He did not. They create didn't create this. it. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, they didn't create it. So, but what I what I like about it, and he, is that, he admitted that some of it is flawed, but it's still kind of no. I can't because everything is nuanced. Yeah, exactly. But what I like about it is that it it allowed because obviously we can talk shit about any type of anything. But what I liked about this is that it allows people and gives people the space and sort of forces you to sit down and set your expectations and actually be clear about what paper. you want before somebody enters the picture exactly. so that you are then not swayed by like someone's charisma or like because they're fucking hot yeah exactly. do you know what i mean i mean i like the idea of going on a date with th- th- three dates with someone you know yeah. um i mean listen if you have a terrible time you just know that Sure. Uh, yeah. Most dates, it's <laughs> most back. first dates are just kind of whatever. And I think it's good. Um, I think, uh, I think it's good to, you know, second or third date to really get, get comfortable and, and familiar with someone. And, you know, you, it, it takes more than one or two dates usually to kind of have a breakthrough, I suppose, and and make just it, like sex. Yeah, make a just connection with someone. There. Yeah, so I I do yeah. like that idea, and I do think. I think if people incorporated that type of mindset in their dating, it would serve them much better than how they're going about it now. On you know, basically just matching people on dating apps, not even going on dates. Uh, that's the thing; people are just holding out dates for 
these incredibly special occasions. It's like, you got to meet people. You got to interact with them. That's why, like, I, I know it's like, people are just like, oh, I don't want to do like, but like, I, I think people should just zoom date and speed date and do those things because like, totally. you know, like at least you might get to know someone and like, you don't have to leave your house. You don't have to spend money. Like this could be like, this could have been a date, you know, like if, if it wasn't a podcast, <laughs> the definition and, of this could have been, yeah, in a, you a know, and so like, like, this could have been an email <laughs> and you can be like, oh, wow, you get to see how they look and, and their body, body language, language and things like that. And we just need to get more swings, but people are just, they're acting like they're taking these swings or at bats, so to speak. And they're really not, they're not, they're, they're just. They're passing the time by looking, swiping left or swiping right and having the occasional like superficial text conversation that sounds something like, what are you doing tonight? Oh, just hanging out with my roommate. That's cool. Right. We should hang out sometime. God, sounds I good. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I get it, right? Because it's just like if you're a guy, you know, even if you're a progressive guy and even if you're a progressive woman, there's still the, you know, expectation that the guy pays for the first date. You know, I don't That's pretty common. Uh, that can get expensive for women, you know, like every time you go out with a strange guy, is just another chance that things could get weird or wrong. You know, I get it. So mm -hmm. like we need a safer, more efficient way of getting to know people all while qualifying them and, and not having it feeling like expensive or exhausting. And let's just use the technology that's available to us, you know, whether it's a Zoom date or FaceTime or whatever. But like we need to start talking and getting to know people. I, you know, for me, like I used to make a, like, that's kind of how I met Natalie, but like, I've always liked meeting people and I have a lot, like people who don't live in the same state and kind of having these like two or three week kind of FaceTime love affairs because like mm. it stops, it wow. builds up that physical tension. It makes you have mm -hmm. conversations because you're not there. And so you find yourself communicating and connecting. Um, and I think that's there's something to, there's something there and i think we need to try to do more of that because yeah dating is exhausting going on dates and and then if we have like an okay time it's like i don't want to get dressed up and plan a date totally. for someone i had an okay time with but like right you know they're nervous or or you just had a heart you know but like sometimes you just find that one common interest and it's a whole different story so i i very much like the idea of giving someone two or three dates uh before moving on and I think if we, if, I think if generally people did that, um, I think they would increase their chances of building connections with people. Totally. Did you ever like even... or watch the show Master of None? Uh, Aziz, I'm sorry. I never got into it. Okay, just because yeah. there, there's a couple like scenes about dating that are really funny that are just flashing in your mind while you're talking, but then also. The latest season they did, the third season, is like all the it's five episodes and it's only Lena Waithe in her relationship. And it's kind of showing like the intricacies and nuances of a like long term comfortable relationship. And mm -hmm. I think it is like one of the most no, I've seen beautifully a few done. Like, even if you didn't like the first two seasons have nothing to do with season three. So I kind of want you to watch season three mm -hmm. and then let me know what you think, because I thought it was one of the most beautiful and like romantic and truthful and honest insights into a long-term relationship that I'd seen on TV before. Also, Meadow and I are just like really have a weird Lena, Yeah, Lena Lena anything oh. Lena Waithe, we worship. So okay. we'll take that with okay. the green. Let's check it out. But I, I know I do like this intentional dating thing. I think there, I think there is something cool, there. Kind of cool, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I think the uh, the game has drastically changed, but the playbook hasn't. And I think we just need to start rewriting hey. the playbook. And uh, I think that's, that's a way of, of doing that, you know. I don't even have anything to add. Yeah, end because on I feel that. Like that is the most beautiful way. We could talk to you about this for so long. Um, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. We appreciate you. We think Nick should have a microphone. Yes, we do. Okay. The Thanks. one man allowed the with man, a microphone. The, the one man allowed Nick with a Kyle, microphone. Turn in. The one man that women claim is allowed to have a microphone. That should be your slogan. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, women know, everywhere agree I, you're welcome for the I rebrand think, I think uh, the moment I start like putting that on my profile is the moment it, they would take the <laughs> mic away from me we'll put it out there please. I'll let other people say it and I will, appre- <laughs> I will appreciate it being said but I will uh, that's as far as it'll go oh my god <laughs> incredible Nick you're the best thank you thank you Thank you guys so much for listening to the Thoughts Made Very podcast every Monday.